I'm sorry. I don't know what you're looking for here. I guess I just wanted to find out what was happening in her life. She lived the life she wanted to live. She had everything. Welcome to the end of Mad Men on the Idle Thumbs Network. I'm Chris Remo. I'm Sean Vanneman. I'm Jake Rodkin. On this episode, we will be discussing Severance, which is the eighth episode of season seven of Mad Men and the first of the seven final episodes of the show. Yeah, it was uh, written by Matthew Weiner and it was directed by Scott Hornbacher. Who's directed a ton. I noticed I rewatched the whole first half of the seventh season in preparation for this, and Scott Hornbacher has directed a lot of this show. Yeah, he has. So Chris, did you want to share with us the uh, very dry synopsis oh, yes. this, for this okay. episode? So here, yes, this is the official synopsis of this episode of Mad Men, which I always enjoy. Um, Don tries to track down a friend. Joan struggles to solve a problem with an account. Peggy is set up by an unlikely person. So anyway. I would say that covers. Yo, thank you for listening to our in-depth discussion of this of uh, Mad Men. The great thing about those is that my brain immediately starts to like figure out who all the proper nouns could be. But you can't. I know, but it's really fun to be like Peggy set up by mm, neighbor Stan, Glenn. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so real quick before we get any further into this, um, since this is the first episode, real episode of the show, we put up a brief introduction. Um, you may know. Uh, Jake and me from our other television podcast, um, Twin Peaks Rewatch, which we've been doing for a few months now. And uh, Sean is has his own podcast about Dota 2, the game, and we're all on a podcast called Idle Thumbs Together. Where we talk about video games. We've been talking about doing this Mad Men podcast for a while, and then suddenly the final episodes, like... If only they had announced them months us. ahead yeah, of time. If only this had been known for like a year that these were coming back. They should really just like yeah. put posters up everywhere to remind us. We <laughs> we scrambled to get this up and running, but uh, pretty much pulled it off, I guess. We'll see how this episode goes. Yeah. So what did you guys think about this episode generally as like the beginning of the end? I think one of the interesting things about this is that this is even, even shorter than a normal season. This kind of feels like its own season mm-hmm. because... Previously, we ended on something that on any other that that is basically a season finale. You know, the ending with Burt Cooper doing, you know, the, the best, best things, things in life, life are free. free. Yeah. Like that, the way everything came to a head in the company and with relationships, that really felt like a season finale. And so this really feels like an abbreviated season where I, I suspect every episode is going to have to shoulder an increasing amount of total stuff. How do you guys feel? How do you guys feel about it? I'm really excited, I yeah. think, is the way I felt about it. What It occurred to me like 10 minutes in when I remembered that the agency was sold to McCann yeah. and that Don and Megan broke up in the finale, like officially mm-hmm. broke up, is that for six and a half seasons or whatever, like whatever, for all of Mad Men up until now, yeah. Don has lived the life of someone he wasn't quite. So he was like living like a single person, but married or dating. He was living like a millionaire, but probably incredibly rich. But now he is just like an actual millionaire and right. actually single. Yes. And it's weird. Well, you know, it's funny. the first time we've ever seen it. So, yeah, I think you raise a really good point. And I think that is what leads this episode to at least for the first half. They re- So the way it opens 
right? There's Don in casting. In, well, you don't, you don't know, you know, know that. Don't that it's just <laughs> you like Don is kind of directing a girl, and you're yeah. like, is this like a weird like vertigo thing? Like, what's going yeah, on? Like, man, Don it's... is into like some new shit. Yeah, we're just like, <laughs> yeah. now turn. Right. Act like you're only wearing the thing, whatever. Th- but yeah. it's like, that's not that far out of. No, it Don's felt completely natural. All. It's like, and, oh, wow, this yeah. is what Don Unleashed is like. Yeah. And that's the thing this show loves to do, I think, is to give you these sort of in media res openings, not just an opening of the show, but just scenes often will open in, with a very ambiguous setting. Right. Where, and then just like, like the context is revealed as the yes, scene plays I, out. I yeah. almost like laughed when, when suddenly well, the there were three other cuts, guys in the room <laughs> yeah. on the couch <laughs> watching what is framed as an incredibly intimate, intimate yeah. like, power erotic scene. Yeah. It's yeah. an erotic scene yes, for de- sure. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was an amazing next, gag. Like what? Yep. Yeah. And, uh, and, that it is like the ultimate Don Draper there, right? Like he's merging his like sexual persona and his professional persona in just like a display of sort of power and command. And like that is it is this episode, I think, sets out after the sort of pseudo finale of the of the half season sets out to to act as though everything is back to normal. Like we get all of this like back to basics client work where people are, you know, whining and dining uh uh advertisers and there's like Don having flings and he's even like he's now with the flight attendant from when he was flying back and forth to California all the time. Like total classic everything is total classic madman, but of course it's you know, he's actually a real single guy now, mm-hmm. and that means a really different thing when... He's also not drinking. Yeah. So, yeah. that's that's true. Oh, yeah. man. I forgot slash didn't notice that that is the case. Yeah. I don't know. It's just something I picked up on hmm. when he wasn't drinking. Yeah. And so, I thought the way... The, I thought it was a really good sort of feint, you know, how, the, how it, it feels like they're really like... There were also a lot of shots this episode of uh, Sterling Cooper employees from who have been there since season one all kind of together in the same room doing stuff like there were there was a lot in this episode that was like remember classic madman except it's laced with like don increasingly unraveling but quietly not in this sort of like destructive alcoholic just rampage way but he's having like he can't figure out how to associate things in his brain like he sees the 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 woman at the diner who he you know like has instantaneous sex with behind the Right. diner and like can't separate his conflation of her with rachel menken or the presentation yeah. of rachel the presentation Menken's, of yeah. don's existence in this entire episode was basically all shot in a dreamlike way and yes. like he was inside of dreams and he was outside yes, of dreams but totally. like when he comes around the corner and ken cosgrove is sitting in the phone booth and he has that conversation <laughs> with him that feels just as weird and like don feels just as like slightly off like like he's seeing it through a prism as the dream that he has when the when just Sterling Cooper employees are interchanged in the middle of that weird dream version of the modeling session with Rachel. Right. Mm-hmm. You know what? You know, it's, uh, it's, it's, God, you mentioning that about the Ken, Crof, Con, ugh, Ken Cosgrove phone booth scene makes me think of something, which is that I'm sure that was intended to be an actual scene that happened. But you're right that it was shot in a weird way. Don's face never quite registers anything as he's saying, which you could also take as and Angel thing being like I just need to figure out how to get out of this office like he just like Ken Cosgrove's even last words are funny and played for a joke like I can't bring myself to leave that but happens, a, that happens it, a lot but, in this episode. but it's also what someone would say in a world where he's like 
actually trapped actually in an, trapped extra, in an infinite like, labyrinthine <laughs> right, yeah. right and yes. Don's just like okay and then just moves on with his life and just that's yep. his last interaction with, with Ken in that episode you know well and you know what's so funny to me about that isn't that the the last isn't there's nothing as far as I recall there's no exposition Ken related between that moment and Ken suddenly busting into like, yeah. a partners meeting and be like guess what fuckers like that that's also because almost, this, this episode is like the your life is in a shitty track that you can't escape despite being able to see all of the alternate oh, totally. lives you can live I know, is what this episode is about. I know, but right? what I mean is as far as the Ken story goes, in terms of like Ken-related plot, you could totally delete the scene where Don encounters him and Ken's story would actually have more of an obvious through line to it where he's like, I just got fired. What am I going to do? Got this great job at Dow. Instead, there's like this dip into this weird dreamlike Don thing that's yeah. almost there just for the purpose of making Don feel existentially confused. Yeah. As does uh, Sterling's mustache. Oh, it does a lot of really and wide, Ted, gross mustaches. And Ted Shaw's mustache. Yeah. I know. Both of their mustaches Ted make Rogers it seem like a hope, dream to me. I hope that Ted grew that mustache and then Roger Sterling was like, oh, is that what's cool now? And then he grew his mustache. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it's because a response stash. Sterling now, like, he's he been kind like of like Mark a, Twain. He's been like on like, the cusp of cool. Like, he's always felt like he's a, an old guy who manages to keep up with what's cool. He. He feels like he's falling behind to me at this point. But he, yeah. maybe he's not. Maybe it's just well, what I he looked like in I the 70s. I think Roger never needed to feel cool because he but like, has that like silver fox ease. Yeah, but like him. he jumped to modern suits before Don did. He jumped to drinking vodka yeah, okay, instead sure. of like, or like, like dark his liquor crazy John, um, mod did. style office. Yeah, he, he, got, yeah. he, he renovated no, his office right. to that, be crazy like 60s. He always felt like he's like a fucking mustache. Oh, that mustache is disgusting. Oh my God. It just looks like he should be on the cover of a box of fish, like fish sticks <laughs> yeah. with that mustache. So, uh, to pick up on a thread. Oh, okay. Oh, no, no, go ahead. No, no, it's you. Um, it's all your dreams. So, you know, Jake, the thing you were saying about. That's that's like the tagline of this episode. What is? Follow your dreams. <laughs> Follow, your, Follow dreams. your dreams. Everybody is like, <laughs> that's true. Don's wandering through a dream. Ken Crosgrove's dream of having power over these people who have pushed him around is here. Peggy's um, dream of going to Paris? Is that a dream? But meeting a man that she likes and like yeah. having a thing outside of the office, it's good. Although then she immediately like she sobers anyway, up in all I, ways. Yeah. Like, that was bad. What was I thinking? <laughs> yeah, that bummed me out. Yeah, I know. Me too. For yeah, the, yeah. but for good for the right reason, right? Yeah, it's totally true to her character to just be like, what was I? What? Well, I remember watching the Kent, the um, Peggy on a date scene. Uh, she gets set up by like one of her subordinates. Yeah. Um, and once they sort of break the ice. Being really happy to see to see her like have like some like be like a normal person vim and vigor and sort of a a social interaction and then making out with this guy it all felt really good and healthy and then the next day she's just like shut it down yep yeah although it doesn't really it's not really clear whether she shut it down or not but she expressed mm-hmm. the uh, she at least surface two, at least two coworkers was like <laughs> but I think that that is probably we'll we'll see we'll find out. What were you going to say, Chris? Oh, I was just going to say, I think that um, I I would be interested in sort of just like in terms of one thread of this show that seemed really significant. All of the stuff with Don related to Rachel Mencken and Diana, the um, Diana, the diner employee uh, and the girl at the very beginning of the episode, because all that stuff weaves together in a clearly like potent way for Don like the the in the opening scene isn't the opening scene when the Peggy Lee like 
is that all there is to a fire? That's where that comes in, right? When he's mm-hmm. directing the woman, like the conclusion of that scene is when that yes. that song comes yeah, in yeah. over the top. Yeah, yeah. It has a sort of the spoken intro. Yeah, it starts yeah. with the spoken intro, which is really this is such a madman right. thing to do is like insert that really like overt voice over there, um, and then that comes back at the end of the episode when Dawn is kind of rebuffed by Diana, uh, and then Diana herself is sort of this weird like avatar of Rachel Mencken who Don has a dream about and then goes to the Shiva where he meets her sister and is very confused by why the mirror is covered. Yeah. <laughs> I like that whole scene. The, these are all scenes. Well, maybe not the first scene, but all the rest are all scenes in which Don is like told things point blank by people that just illustrate how totally adrift he is right now. And it was just punctuating this whole episode. And he just, he just gets told things point blank, like the, uh, in a way that I think is very madman. Like there's a, there's a theatricality to this show where characters often, a lot of the dialogue in the show is like very naturalistic and, and, and very believable, but often there is dialogue in the show that is almost portentous and, um, like written in a very deliberate way that sounds that sounds almost like stage writing in a way that I think is like intended. Uh, and Don gets a lot of that in this episode, just straight to his face. And I thought that was, that was a really interesting thing to just follow through this whole episode. I liked it a lot. There's also, it, apparently someone did a recap of this episode in which they pointed out. I did not remember this. I don't know if you guys did that. His first kiss with Diana mirrors his first kiss of Rachel way back in like season one. I would not. I would not have remembered. That. I don't remember that at all. Yeah, I don't. I don't either. But that that was an observation that was made by somebody, which I thought was pretty impressive. Did you guys think you also recognized that actress who played the waitress from being on the show previously? Because before Dawn said anything, I was watching it with Dana, my girlfriend, and she was like, "Is that that artist that he was dating in like the first or second oh, right, season?" Right, right, Midge? right. Yeah, and Midge. and I and we both were just completely thrown in a way that felt incredibly accurate to the show because we were yeah. both just like oh i've seen that lady before she's someone that don and then don was like i know you from somewhere before <laughs> and it was just instead he did not i and bet that was a big casting intention like, yeah sure i just I, I spent that well entire episode cast. just being like what is the, uh, okay is just really this is just awkward i was mm-hmm. really bummed when rachel menken's now cats was like revealed to have passed that really bummed me out yeah like i was so this is the second totally, time this has happened to don yeah because he dreamt about anna draper and then found out she died, what, like the next day? He right. dreamt about Same. Burt Cooper. Kind of. He had a weird vision of Burt Cooper after he died, but before he knew that Burt died, right? Or did he know that Burt was what, already what dead? What vision are you talking about? The, the whole song the and dance. Song oh, and dance no, 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 he definitely knew he was dead. Okay, I didn't. Yeah. I have, you guys just, just rewatched yes, it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yes. But I mean, it's worth saying that Don has a lot of dreams and visions about people who are. Dead I cannot wait until that is revealed. As the, the oh, paranormal twist of, <laughs> of Mad Men, that Don Draper actually has sort of premonitions or, uh, I guess, postmonitions of, yeah. uh, of it jumps ghosts. forward to 2001, and he like has a dream about 9/11. Yep. and that's how it ends. <laughs> he, man, give me the president. You, you say that like a joke, but there are people who write incredibly detailed blog posts with suppositions about this show that are basically on that level <laughs> crazy shit like bob benson is a time traveler and <laughs> J- the son of joan i'm not kidding it's like it's crazy it's it is strange that that has developed around this show because this show 
out of like all the shows that I watch and are current in the culture, it's like the least relevant to that kind of like high concept plot forecast. It leaves, yeah, the f- as few doors open for like the foot of slash fic to step right. in. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> and yet, exactly right. And yet the internet yeah. finds a way. Mm-hmm. What did you get? Okay. Oh, so uh, Bo- oh, oh, Bobby Draper is uh, Bob Benson, but it falls through a time <laughs> hole. Uh, Jake, what did you think about this episode? We never got your take. Unless it's a great episode. No, um, I guess what you were talking about way earlier about how last episode felt incredibly like a finale. In a lot of ways, this episode, like, usually when, when a new season of Mad Men starts, it's actually really hard to get attached to what's going on because they haven't yet revealed what any of the through lines are. And this episode was structured like that in a lot of ways for me like mm-hmm. when i was watching it i was sort of waiting for it to get going i mean all the stuff yeah. with dawn being like crazy heightened dawn was there but like you were saying chris it just it kind of runs through a bunch of just sort of this is the the routine in an even more like pronounced way than it has in a long time but then as the second half of the episode opens and sort of like the lid starts prying oh, yeah, off and you reveal yeah. that it's just like oh the reason that they were doing that is actually because this episode is just like more palpably existentialist than most Mad Men. It like I don't know. I really, I think Mad Men has always had that flavor. But at this yeah, point, yeah, it's aggressive in this episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This episode yeah, is. Yeah. Intense. I mean, okay, so that's what I meant with the big through line of those of the various women who come in contact with Dawn, either like in reality or in dream. Like the the sis, uh, Men- Rachel Mankin's sister just says point blank to him, like I I don't know what it is you're looking for, or I'm sorry, I don't know what you're looking for here, which is just a classic. That's like basically the the Don's life, like in a right. sentence. Essentially, the guy has no like. That's kind of what I think. Bert's the whole thing with Bert at the end of the uh, the previous episode was, you know, Don has this intuitive sense. Like his job is basically to sell. You know, if you remember all the way back to the classic Kodak Carousel pitch, his role in life is to sell people on memories and like on products through the promise that the products will help enable these like intangible life things to have even more of an impact or to be remembered better or so on. Uh, but he himself is, despite being aware of this is incapable of like understanding it. Like he's sort of bemused by bemused is not the right word, but I think he doesn't know what to do with that sort of spectral message that he gets from, from Bert, you know, and I think he still doesn't know what to do. I think it still completely confounds him. Um, and I'm, I, he he almost doesn't have an arc. He has a stasis. Right. <laughs> it's like, yeah. That's actually watching this episode made me really appreciate the finale like nature of the boot, the Burt Cooper musical scene in the previous episode, because I was able to relax and that the show is actually about that, yeah. <laughs> about what you're saying in terms mm-hmm. of like this state of being, or this like existentialness of who this character is versus an arc of redemption or of punishment or anything. Well, it feels like there was this like musical finale. That is what you do when you end a series to do something special. Yeah. Not a good, not a good series. Yeah. yeah, You know what I mean? Like, but now it can just end in it's any way it wants. It doesn't need to, it can just, it could end very, it could just, slowly quietly end mm-hmm. in seven th- episodes and that would be fine i yeah. think speaking to the stasis thing i think that ken cosgrove's line to him about like wanting to get on with that stuff if he could just figure out how to get out of the building is also really 
apt because both his arc and Don's arc inside of this are reflecting on like Rachel's entire existence in this episode to a certain degree is like to use, I guess the word, or I don't even remember what the quote was, but Ray Wise's character, he plays Ken Cosgrove's father-in-law and he, he talks about like just sort of lives not lived and paths not taken and stuff. And that's sort of where Ken is at with his, like, do I go by a farm and become a writer? No, I just go to Dow Chemical. Ugh, he's stoked about it, but I think that it was the wrong choice. But I think that Rachel, for Dawn, and this was uh, Dana was pointed out too, is she also represents. If you go all the way back to her existence in the show, she was a potential completely different avenue for that guy. She offered a, she was like a, a life that was not the life that he chose to live, and I think Dawn pedaling back through that is him also kind of examining that stuff and seeing the two kids like far away yeah but yeah. like at the end he's still stuck in the building the same as everyone else yeah. yeah the rachel thing is is tragic because she you get the sense that she was the don is a terrible man like uh, with respect to like straight men interacting with women don is kind of the worst because he is contemptuous of people who he sees as being beneath him, like in kind of just not, not in the same way that like, I don't know, someone like Roger is, I guess, but like he's, he has that because I think of his bootstraps kind of like mm-hmm. I pulled off this amazing thing. He has that kind of like almost slight contempt for, for people who he, who he thinks aren't worth his time, but also really only lets himself get involved in relationships in which that is going to be the dynamic that he brings to it. And so Rachel right. was like his one serious relationship. And I say serious relationship loosely because he was married at the time, but like that was the one where she was clearly his equal, right? In a way that like, I'm well, sure. And Dr. Faye, if you remember her. Oh, that's, that's true. That's yep. true. That's a good point. Um, but it, he's eschewed those twice. Yes. Yep. Right. right. Which is very, yeah. Very he obvious. marries Megan like almost like, instantly. In, in Doctor, a, like in, in a, ner- like Faye was like right there. Mm-hmm. Right, that was a, that was a yeah, will they was, won't they? Yeah, who is he going to no, end up? Megan with? came out of like left field. Yeah, he broke yeah. up with her by saying he's getting married. Right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. He went. He I took, remember when we were watching the kids that episode, to California, and she was the babysitter. Yeah, Sean, yeah. you, me, and Adam were watching the episode when Don chose Megan, and you guys. That was like the most soap opera madman moment <laughs> of all time because I was just sitting there being like, okay, this is interesting, and you and Adam like had your hands in your mouth like clenching, going, <laughs> oh my god, I think I may have screamed, what? Yeah. What? For like half an hour. Scandalous bed, choice. With the bed angry. <laughs> yeah. I did feel like a like a lady watching her stories, like an old an old maid. <laughs> yeah, in that in that moment. God, speaking of speaking of like men and women, what about that scene with those goddamn Macy's guys? No, Holy that wasn't shit. Macy's. That was McCann. That was just random McCann execs. There were McCann execs who oh, had that's access. Right. Who had the you're Macy's right. account yes. or could yeah. potentially yes. arrange no, a right. meeting with yes. Macy's. Or was it Marshall Fields? They couldn't get Macy's, but McCann had Marshall Fields. Doesn't oh, that's matter. what it was. That's yeah. right. Yep. Yeah. I mean, but man, that was the like some of the most overt, just un unbarred, just like sexist bullshit that I think this show has ever had. Not that there isn't plenty of that, like that kind of thing, but like that that was just double barreled, just nonstop. I, th- I thought about that a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Because. The show itself, when it's not ma- when it's not shining a light on the sexism, can be read, I think, as sexist. Mm-hmm. The way just when, like because it's through because Don is the protagonist, 
and how much of his life and the attractive women who come in and out of it are sort of like traded as a cultural currency and are always beautiful. And the the show like has a gaze as well. I mean, it had it for years with Joan, you know, and then for it to sort of shine a light on that through these characters who are like pretty one note and are very like the sort of cliche, like just shit bag, uh, you know, well, because in a certain way, they're, they're just saying, what the entire cast has been shown to have been thinking and not say a million billion jillion times over the show. Yeah, it'd be, I don't know. It's sort of like, but it's coming from, it's like these guys are sexist, not this entire framework is sexist, which I don't know. I, I don't really uh, have yeah, an opinion, I but I, I found myself thinking about it a lot. No, I, to, I totally know what you mean. I didn't, I don't read it as being not the system. I just thought it was, I, 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 I feel like Mad Men has, the show has a relatively modern point of view mm-hmm. it's in which it depicts these like clear i think Mad Men knows that w- what it's showing you it's not oblivious to what it's showing you i i completely agree that i completely i don't, I don't think the show is ever oblivious for one frame of what it's showing you but it still enjoys and relishes in a sexy woman in a short skirt walking slowly down a hallway unambiguous like un, yeah. un no, you know what i mean you're right that yeah. is totally true i think I, oh go ahead but yes no no you're totally true and i i i feel like to some degree the show kind of earns it by i think the show i think if the show was doing that in an unthoughtful way it would actually just be gross you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, no. I don't think the show is gross, but I do think it's interesting. Like, I guess my point is the scene with Joan and Peggy and the, the McCann guys, the sort of like fratty, sexist douchebags, was sort of a boring scene to me because it was like, yeah, okay. No, no. I, you know okay, I mean? that, that I agree with. There's, it basically is just set up for the kind of confrontation between Joan and Peggy in the elevator and then their respective right. responses to it. That's right. really what the actual meat is mm-hmm. the scene before is basically just like filling the pump like with air to it, let that, it that out. That said, though, it's it's been a long time, if ever, that you've seen like workplace sexism portrayed in that way. Usually, it's like Joan is sort of the victim of systemized or really highly orchestrated mm-hmm. sexism, or like an occasional quip. It's very rare that they just mm-hmm. sit in front of a seat, but as a thing that a thing that it reminded me of really quick to just jump way out is when you're talking about Mad Men and uh, sexism across Mad Men or Mad Men as a sexist show. I think one thing that Mad Men occasionally trades in, and it actually is a thing that kind of irks me when it trades in it, is sh- like kind of shocking you at well, that's just the way the world was back then. Like the most egregious version of that, even though I liked it, was when the Draper family goes on a picnic and then they just dump the um they just dump the picnic. <laughs> blanket and tablecloth and all their garbage out onto the side of the road and walk up the embankment and get in their car and drive away and then it cuts to a commercial where it's like people just <laughs> did that aren't right. you shocked as a view yeah. and like some like sometimes the way the madman i think gets itself off the hook at its worst with sexist stuff is when it's like well i don't know aren't you surprised that that's how it was in the 60s imagine that and like this this i guess wasn't entirely that but it was since it was so full frontal and just like an mm-hmm. assault on these characters mm-hmm. it kind of felt like that where it's like yeah. maybe this is what their life would be like and like it would be but you've handled this in so many other ways in the past that are not mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. so i guess 
it makes me what yeah. it's just there to show that yeah, McCann is not like Sterling Cooper, I guess. Right. So yes, yeah, I I totally agree with what with what you're saying, and I that because of that, that scene made me wonder if we're actually going to see more of of like I was think I didn't realize it was McCann. I for some reason thought it was Macy's, but I was in my incorrect assumption. I, I had the same thought I do now, which is I thought we were going to see more of that company. Uh, all instances of them in the show, they've yeah. just kind of been crass assholes. It's, it was it was still such a weird scene. To, sorry, we don't need to harp on it. It was a strange scene to me in that Joan was a partner of, I guess it was Sterling Draper Cooper Price. Is that what? No, the way around. Now Sterling like, Cooper Draper Price. Sterling Cooper. But it was. I mean, that's, they're, they're not Sterling Cooper and Company, partners. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Partners, she, yeah. But yeah. she was a partner. So she's a millionaire sitting in a meeting. Well, that's, that was Peggy's these, point. I know it was just it, the scene just didn't play for me for some reason. It just didn't like in terms of ugh, I don't know in terms of the characters in terms of like I just didn't. I mean, I, I liked the scene in the elevator, so mm-hmm. fine that it got us there. But in terms of yeah. cliche sexism and sort of what the actual like the pieces on the board just didn't ring sure. for me on that one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Even though Peggy calls it out, it did feel like like I like the scene in the elevator. So yeah, yeah. Thought that was good. Do you want to try to do some uh, some mail from the fellow watchers yeah, of the show? So yeah, if you have any questions um, or for us, thoughts or, or thoughts or criticisms or something we got wrong, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is often, you can email us at endofmadmen at idlethumbs.net. It's just madmen. It's just madmen. Just madmen at idlethumbs.net. Um, yeah, when- That's just because you, you might not be an Idle Thumbs network listener, it's um, idle, I-D-L-E, Thumbs, spelt like your thumbs, T H U M S dot net. T H U M B S. Not on the ball here. So if you would like to uh, send us anything, any thoughts you have, you could write us at madmen at idle thumbs, T H U M B S dot net. You're going to edit that, right? Chris? No. <laughs> You're going to just chop up all my. But, we'll see how it goes. Um, I guess we should talk about the sort of community involvement thing for half a second because on our video game podcast, Idle Thumbs, and on Twin Peaks Rewatch, we really strongly encourage people who are listening in to write in with their thoughts and we use them for sort of the back third of the show. And it's like, it's actually often one of my favorite parts of these podcasts. But mm-hmm. if you want to write in, it's great. Also, we do have a forum community where people post pretty regularly. So if you go to idlethumbs.net and hit the forum link at the top, there's a thread for this episode that you should also check out. Yep. So Matt Greco writes, hey, guys, I thought this episode showed a great and troubling range of Don dealing with the loss of several women from his life. In the scene in the diner, when Don is telling a story to three women and Roger, he carefully makes sure to call his childhood home a boarding house, not a whorehouse, effectively avoiding having to speak about these women. Later on in his apartment, Don is with a new woman who spills red wine on the carpet. This is the exact spot where Don, quote, murdered another woman from his past in a fever dream. Madchen Emick from Twin Peaks and Twin Peaks Rewatch. Yeah, she plays Shelly in... In, uh, That's right. Yeah. In Twin Peaks, which is, it's crazy to see that that character when you realize that, that is the case. As Don covers the wine stain and they begin to get intimate, she finds an earring of Megan's under the bed, which Don speaks ostensibly lightly of and throws away. And looming largest over the episode is Rachel Katz slash Menken. He learns of her death from his secretary, attends her funeral, Shiva, and tries to find understanding with her sister, then goes to make sense of a dream about Rachel with one of the waitresses at the diner. I'm curious for your thoughts on Don's dealing with all these things. Keep up the great work. I'm glad you're doing this podcast or modcast. What? It's like mod. Like mad, mad men. Oh, yeah. Mod era. Sure. Matt Greco. So I think we pretty much covered that, I guess. But I liked I liked how he connected all that stuff in one big line. No room for Peggy. I mean, not Peggy. No room for uh, for Betty. 
No room for Betty in, in Don's. <laughs> well, that's actually in Don's sorting I, out I know that, his. I know that the women of his past lives. Madman has no need to put a like tie a bow on all of the threads, but um, you saying Peggy totally just threw. I mean Betty. Betty, jeez, yeah. yeah, my brain that's just did erase it. But Betty Draper has been in the last like two plus years of the show just as another arc that occasionally touches Dawn's. But she's mm-hmm. she's a like she's a character who the show will just cut to as a full member of the cast, even though she's just off living her own life. And I'm actually like, there's no reason to talk about this other than just it's her absence in this episode made me just go, wow, what are they gonna do? I have no, I. Her arc has had nothing to do with the show in any direct way for so mm-hmm. long that I'm really curious wh- how how they decide at all to close it up. Yeah, I mean it's funny. It feels like it can just, it can just do whatever. That it doesn't, doesn't matter. Like Donna, like it's a, like a previous life, right? Like, but he's like lived like five. The lives. way Mad Men works, in every other TV show, Don and Betty would have a scene where they at least sort of look at each other and like give the weird different people now look and walk away. Mad Men has no obligation to have that scene. No, I would not be shocked if Betty if, de- if was they just not. never share the screen for the rest of the show. Right? But I also won't be surprised when she's in the next episode either. Yeah, like I don't mm-hmm. know. I mean, yeah. but them showing her is is has nothing to do with Dawn. Right. And yes, yes. you yeah. guys are saying the same thing. Okay, yeah. it's I don't know. Is it? It's, it's, um, Alan Ibrahim writes, "Hey, hey, Chris and Jake and Sean. Uh, first of all, super excited to hear your opinions on another TV favorite of mine. Before we dive into these final episodes, I have to ask, what is Mad Men to you? Specifically, what themes and ideas are you going to take with you and remember ten years from now? The show changed the way I look at advertising, seeing it as consumer art and not just marketing." I've also seen Mad Men as a show seeking to demystify certain aspects of the 60s in pop culture, evident in episodes like The Dawn on a Mysterious Resort with Hippies, or that arc where Betty got a look at lower-class America. The final shot of the first half of the season, where Don takes his children to see where he was raised, furthers this idea, in my opinion. Just wondering what your thoughts are on this and the show as a whole. Thanks a bunch, Al and I from Massachusetts. I I can say something, I suppose. Go for it. The thing that I keep coming back to with Mad Men is that Don is a character of incredible empathy. Don feels every feels other people's feelings when he wants to really intensely and is actually a very, very sensitive man, but that doesn't make him a good person. And the, I think in terms of like characters being able to be empathetic, uh, both on screen and in the minds of the viewer, I've never really seen a show like Mad Men and uh, that is always what I leave thinking about. And I think my internal ruminations on that will have been very, very valuable because of the show. I really like your distinction between empathy and sort of quality of character. Right. Or however you like, because I think that's a, I think that's a really salient thing right now. I think we're, we're in an era where the word empathy is like, almost an obsessive meme like Mm -hmm. people talk about it constantly but i think it's you make a really good point that is worth distinguishing the ability to empathize and possibly even the habitual like uh tendency towards empathy from like okay that is that is like a capacity that you have it doesn't necessarily it doesn't, mean yeah, nothing that, to do with your inherent goodness. Right. Or, or yes, like the actual good you are wreaking. Right. Upon it's the not world. morals. Right. Yeah. Right. I think that's like important. That the one should inform the other, but you, you don't automatically have one just cause you have the other. Yeah. Um, I think it's good to keep in mind. My, my, one of the, okay. So I'm going to answer this in the context of the dedication of this episode 
Um, I haven't thought this through very far. Uh, this episode is dedicated to Mike Nichols. I don't know if you guys noticed that. Mm-hmm. It opened, it said, I think, in loving memory of Mike Nichols, the film director. Who, he directed um, like The Graduate and Catch-22. And I think he directed Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf um, and Charlie Wilson's War more recently. And he's dead now, obviously. But uh, the reason I really liked that dedication is because um, I remember reading something recently about how about Mike Nichols as kind of a great champion of sort of adulthood in Hollywood, like this sort of very urbane um, approach to depicting adults and their lives. Um, It's not uh, aloof, like, but it's, it's totally different from youth culture. Like it's, it is as distinct from um, trying to sort of, be cool in the way youth culture is obsessed with, but it's also not really like old and fuddy duddy in, in a removed way. Like it's a really great sweet spot that I think a lot of America, that sort of America, American cinema had sort of a golden age of in like the late sixties and seventies. And And Mike Nichols is a great exemplar of that. And I love Mad Men for being, I think a really great, um, like sort of carrying that flame on television, which is not usually a source of that. Like, most of the kind of serious adult drama we get on television now is very concerned with like lots of violence or with like really extreme situations or just plot. Yeah. Or just lots of plot. doesn't mean that they don't have like really valid worthwhile things to say about adulthood or humans or our like society or anything else. Uh, But there's something that is I really, really like about this way of depicting adults, which is like very subdued, but also very like real and true and kind of sad and, but also funny. Like there's just a, like every episode of Mad Men has just like hilarious shit in it. Even though you don't think you do not think of this show as a comedy show or a funny show. There's always like visual gags that are, that are like pulled off really well or characters that have just amazing lines that are like just cut someone else down in a way that's just, viscerally enjoyable you know just like pure fun um it's a really it's something that you just do not see on television very often and also are increasingly rarely seeing in hollywood film uh and i hope that it's that legacy of this show like means something in the long term i don't think i have a point as cool or salient as either of you guys but the thing that actually one of the things that has kept me coming back to Mad Men is that Mad Men, for me, is one of the few shows that doesn't pander to like the most base people or elements of its base, and it also doesn't pander to itself. And that is kind of unprecedented. Even like, though it could do the latter very easily. <laughs> even like great TV shows like The Wire in the last season, it's just this like it, it, they just sort of fall into themselves. And Mad Men has done a maybe unprecedented job of existing up until even seven episodes from its end. It could totally biff it right now. And it would still be a TV show that has sort of held itself sort of true to itself for the entire duration of it. Like, I feel like there's a point in a lot of TV shows where you can tell the people running the TV show know that everyone is watching them. And it feels like when Mad Men did that, if ever, was around like season four or five. And that's when they just doubled down on all of the most like ballsy and dangerous aspects of the show from a structure standpoint, from a visual standpoint, from like the way that it's written, but not in a way that like they don't 
it's it's never going to make a reference to a fan theory that Bob Benson is a time traveler. Right. Whereas <laughs> other shows, the writer's room would eat that stuff up so much that they would just put a stupid wink into it. And that's like just the tiniest, most dumb surface level version of what I'm talking about. Yeah. No, I, I, as we as we said in we, in our tiny little five minute episode zero of this podcast, you know, Matt Weiner, he is that stuff is alien to him. I don't even think he understands the concept of how to make something while being part of that conversation. He is totally distanced from it in a way that I think very few showrunners making television in 2015 are. And that's like it really makes this show feel consistent self-consistent in a way that is really hard to achieve these days yeah i don't know it's it's a thing that sticks out uh also Mad Men has actually probably changed my opinion on advertising in the opposite direction of this readers <laughs> because i have always been interested in marketing and advertising art and like i've done a little bit of it sort of as a side part of my job never as like never to the degree of working in an ad agency or something but i see it's like Mad Men to me cements it so much more as it's just the work and you happen to be good at it way more than as it's a creative art form or something. Right. But I mean, I'm not saying that the, that the, the reader's reading is invalid, but just that, sure, that yeah. one little aside in that in, mm -hmm. in the email, I was like, oh man, that is the opposite of my take <laughs> uh, after watching Mad Men. It's just like, yeah, these people kind of often resent the fact that their lives is to make this stuff. They just happen. It, it's where their skills right. are and it's where they've ended up in life. But it's definitely a job. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you guys want to call it? Yeah. All right. That was fun. I am looking forward to doing six more of these with you guys. Uh, so if you liked this show, we are brand new on iTunes. We were just approved uh, on the iTunes store yesterday, if you're listening to this on the day that we released this. So if you thought we did a promising job so far, um, why don't you consider leaving us a review on iTunes? It is uh, what is used to uh, feature shows and rank them uh, on the iTunes charts. And so as it is a hugely helpful thing for us to spread the cast. Um, and if uh, you think a friend might enjoy it, who's also following along with the final episodes of Mad Men, let them know too. Um, we're on Twitter at end of Mad Men on Facebook at facebook.com slash end of Mad Men. And uh, you can email us as we said earlier at madmen at idlethumbs.net. So we will be back next week. Oh, one just oh. if you want to mention if you want to visit the forums or participate oh, yeah. in any of, any of the community stuff as mentioned before, you can get to this show's website at endofmadmen.com and That's there's a true. forums link at the top. Yep. Thanks guys. I T O O N S dot com to get to iTunes. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. <laughs>